You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. Sunday. Ooh, you all look great. It is so good to be here with you. I love it. God's doing a good thing, a new work. How many of you loved how hot it was this week? Yes. All right, I am going to read for you today. I just want you to follow along uh, from Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to pick up with the story of Abraham, uh, Abram, I should say, as it continues. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down in the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Yes, God is good. God is good. Yes, so great promise. We should have finished that. God is good. There we go. And all the time. There we go. What we have learned already in this series is that Christianity is not our search for God. Rather, Christianity is the history of God's search for us. In the beginning, God created a people to love and to do life with. And this is why God created all things. 
And what God ultimately desires of from each one of us is very simple. He desires our trust. That's faith. Faith is about trust. Trust that God is, that God created, that God desires. And the problem is that anybody ever struggled to trust God before? Appreciate the honesty convention. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've all had that moment in our life where we struggled to trust God. And that is very much the story of Adam and Eve, which we read about in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. They didn't trust God. And what do we do when we don't trust God? We run and hide. And the good news is that even in our hiding, even though we break his commands, God comes and finds us, even in our sin. And the story continued, we learned. We learned about Cain and Abel and how a farmer killed his shepherd brother. We learned about Noah, and after Noah saw the promise and the power of God, and God made a covenant even saying, I'll never destroy the world by flood again, it didn't end so well for Noah, drunk in a garden. And after that was the Tower of Babel, where people said, we don't need you, God, we'd rather be the management on our own. And so God went searching for a people, and found Abram in a land called Ur of the Chaldeans. And really what God is looking for from each one of us is to be a bit more like Abram and Sarai. How can we be a people of faith to keep faith? And how many people know that is so hard? My father-in-law used to say, faith is slippery ground. And I think he was dead right. Because we have these moments in our lives where we feel like God can do anything. And we have these other moments in our lives where we wonder, God, where did you go? Did you take a vacation? Did you have bad tacos? Why are you missing? And this is life. God, how is it all going to work out? Is it going to work out? In the blood and guts of life, our question about God is really this. Can we keep the faith? Can we keep going? Can we keep trusting? And the Bible has plenty of this too. And the Bible is filled with all kinds of strange uh, stories to us modern hearers. We hear these Old Testament stories of blood and guts and covenants, and we go, oh my goodness, we don't live in such a world today. Hmm. Have you seen our video games? Sure, we might not cut animals in two and put the blood on our earlobes, but it's really not that far removed. The real struggle of faith in the blood and guts of this life and in the life of the Bible is this. One question, is God trustworthy? That's really what we're wondering. Is God trustworthy? Can we have faith that he's good, that he cares, that he loves us, that he has our best interests in mind? In the blood and guts of life, can we really trust God? And I suppose adjacent to it is another question. How can we know that? How can we see that God really is trustworthy? How has God proven himself to be trustworthy uh, over history? And what you'll find is something important called covenants. And to help, I'm going to put her on the spot. She doesn't even know it's coming. Sarah Margaret, will you come and help me? <laughs> come on. It won't be painful, I promise. So in the ancient world, they made covenants. And here's the thing. You make covenants all the time. You just don't realize it. When you sign a mortgage, how many know you make a covenant? And there will be bloodletting. You make a covenant when you get on your iPhone and take a new app and the 600 pages that they're going to take all of your data, sell it to the government and every other agency that's out there, that's a covenant, whether you recognize it or not. And in the ancient world, they made covenants. And here's how it worked. You had a greater party, Sarah. 
and you had a lesser party, you already know who that is. <laughs> and usually the way it worked was like this. The, the greater party was going to provide protection. <laughs> and land. And the lesser party was going to promise, this is a lot of protection now. <laughs> was gonna, you're, you're good. Was going to promise... Um, was going to promise a tax base and loyalty. And so here's how it would work. To seal the covenant, there always had to be blood. So you would find a, a gathering of barnyard animals, is probably the simple way to put it. You would cut the pieces in half, and the, uh, the greater party would stand sort of at the end of the aisle, super strong, and the lesser party, that's me, would walk through the pieces and say, if I fail to uphold the terms of the covenant, may what happened to these pieces happen to me. If I fail to uphold the terms of the covenant, may what happened to these pieces happen to me. And the greater party would stand by to witness it, and it would give new meaning to the term slay queen. Okay? Sarah? Good job. Everybody give, give Sarah Margaret a big hand. I love it. I love it. I think I'm going to pay for that later on. But the, yeah, for sure. All, all the preachers are saying amen. Yes, but this is how it worked. And in the ancient world, this was very common. People made covenants all the time. That's how it worked. And it was the way of recognizing that a greater party and a lesser party had entered into an agreement, and the agreement was legally binding upon pain of death. It was the blood and guts of the ancient world. If I fail to uphold the covenant, may what happened to these pieces happen to me. I want you to remember that God had made Abram some big promises. He says in Genesis 12, 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, that you will be a blessing. It takes people to make a nation. Are you with me, brothers and sisters? And then in Genesis 12, 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. The promises are very simple, twofold, land and people. Abram, that's what I'm going to do for you. Now, here's the hard part. Abram has no son. He's got no people. And when Abram comes to Canaan, to this promised land, it's not as though people, when he showed up, said, here, here's all of our land, go ahead and take it. Abram is a renter. So he has no family, he has no land, and he's wondering, how is all of this going to work out? Have you ever had that moment in your life where you said, God, how is all of this going to work out? Are you good? Are you trustworthy? In the blood and guts of life, and of the situation, are you going to make all things work together for good? I bet you have. Now notice what Scripture tells us this morning. God recognizes this. And, it, and the Scripture says in Genesis chapter 15 at verse 1, After these things, the... Who? Say it with me. Who? <laughs> yes. This is the first instance of this phrase, word of the Lord in Scripture. And you're going to find this phrase all throughout Scripture as God provides a word. He provides instruction. He provides power. He provides knowledge to people. The word of the Lord is going to come to prophets and priests and kings and the great people of God over the ages. And the word of God is this. 
Fear not. How many know that's a good word? Fear not. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And the point is really, really clear. Don't miss this now, brothers and sisters. We tend to make our rewards about how. God, how are you going to get me through this? How is this going to work out? How will you be at work? How can I know that you're near? And what God says is this. The reward is who? I'm your reward, Abram. The reward isn't how. The reward points us back to who. And when you get who right, the how, eh. There's a scripture that says God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. It's not about how, it's about who. And that's the hardest thing in faith, isn't it? To know that however it all works out, what matters most is who. And our point of connection, our faith, our trust. When you get who right, you'll run to God before the blood and guts, in the midst of the blood and guts, and realize that it's God who delivers you through that blood and guts. I remember having a colleague in seminary. He's a pastor in Nigeria. Let me tell you something. Those brothers and sisters, they're the real deal. Because in Nigeria, Christianity is not celebrated, at least by government folks. And so his experience of the church was that people had attacked him, his family. They burned his church to the ground. They had killed people from his congregation. And it was interesting to hear his perspective all along the way as we're talking about all the how-tos of faith. Well, my congregation's a little mad. How do I work that out? Well, how am I going to get to my homework when I've got kids at home? Well, how do I know it's all going to work out? How do I know I'm going to be... And here's this brother who's been through all this, and he would stop the class, and as only the African pastors can do, and say... We must trust God. And everybody's like, we already know that. Tell us how to fix it. But he's right. He's right. In the end, we know how our story ends. The question is our connection to who? We tend to get so consumed with temporary things of how, how is this all going to work out, that we miss the eternal perspective of who. We have a God who is greater than all things, who knows all things, who can deliver us from all things. God's our reward, not the hows. The hard part is what do we want to know? How? I mean, that's Abram. Look at the scriptures again. He says, okay, God, all right, I get it, but here's the deal. I'm childless. You've given me no offspring. Oh, Lord God. How? And so what God does is creates a covenant. I'm going to show you, Abram, how I'm going to do this. I'm going to show you how it is that I'm trustworthy. I'm going to show you, Abram, how I haven't just brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to this land for no reason. And here's the thing, Abram, I'm going to show you through the ages how I am at work. So here's the deal, Abram. Bring to me a small spattering of barnyard animals. 
a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And here's the thing. We could look at this in a lot of different ways. There's five animals for the five blessings of, of Abram. We could talk about Egyptian gods and all kinds of other things. But the main thing I want you to recognize is this. That all throughout the ages, from this moment on, these animals will be used in the sacrificial system in Israel. They're going to be used to bring forgiveness of sin, to consecrate priests, to proclaim forgiveness for all of Israel. They'll even be used after a woman gives birth to a child. A sacrifice of two turtle doves or young pigeons will be made. It's almost as though God were creating a connection point from the, right at this moment to the future of all that God will do, that you can trust me, I'm present, I'm working. Just know that who? I'm your great reward. And the hows will all sort themselves out. And so this is what Abram does. He, he creates a covenant. He cuts the animals into pieces. And then something quite beautiful happens. The scriptures tell us that Abram ends up in a deep sleep. Now, the last time somebody ended up in a deep sleep, they ended up with a woman standing next to him. And the man went, hubba hubba. <laughs> so, so God is going to bring a deep sleep upon Abram. And the beautiful part of it is this image that we're given in Scripture today. We would expect the lesser party, Abram, to walk through the pieces and say, if, if I fail to keep this covenant, may what happened to these pieces happen to me. But instead, notice what the scripture says. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, God himself passed through the pieces. If this covenant, whether by my hand or by yours, Abram, fails, may what happened to these pieces happen to me. Does God want our trust? You better believe it. Because at the very beginning, what have we learned? People, we tend to run and hide. And God says, I will prove to you that you can believe, you can have faith, you can trust me. One of the greatest struggles in our lives is this question, how? How is it all going to work out? And what we tend to miss is who? Our great reward will never be how. Our great reward will always be who. And yet we're consumed with it. How are we going to navigate the world? How are we going to make it through? How's this going to work out? How, 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 how am I going to be okay? How do I have the right ideas and values and help my kids uh, know how to make good choices and so on and so forth? And yet what the scriptures say to us is that Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. In fact, Paul would later quote this in the book of Romans at chapter 4. We have to trust who? And that's what Abram began to do in a new way on that day. He remembered who? Because in the years to come, it's amazing how God showed his trustworthiness and faithfulness. A son named Isaac was born. And not long thereafter, God said, I want you to take your only son, who you love, to the region of Moriah, which is Jerusalem, by the way, and sacrifice him there. Parents, how many of you are going to be game for 
that command. And so sure enough, when Abram is about to show his trustworthiness, God says, stop, and there's a ram, the same kind of ram that's caught in Genesis chapter 15. A ram is caught in the thicket as a perfect sacrifice to be given. And sure enough, Isaac would give birth to Jacob, who would give birth to multiple sons who would end up becoming a great nation down in Egypt for 400 years, just like God said. How many people know sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers very quickly? Have you been the recipient of that? 400 years, but he's trustworthy and he's faithful. And so sure enough, God provides a different kind of sacrifice there, a lamb, and you apply the blood of this lamb to the doorposts of your home and God passes over and eventually the people, they plunder the Egyptians, they walk out a wealthy nation and they enter into Canaan, the land that was promised to Abram and they begin to take it over just as God promised. And even though they become faithless, God remains faithful and here's how we know it. Almost a couple thousand years later, we're given this beautiful scripture in the book of the Gospel of Luke, I should say, chapter 2, where a woman named Mary and her husband Joseph go to the temple to make a sacrifice of two turtle doves or two young pigeons, just like Abram's sacrifice some 2,000 years ago. A new son is born, a son that will forgive us of all of our sin, a son to fulfill the promise made to Abram that if this covenant fails, I'll uphold it even if it costs me my own life. And so sure enough, the Son of God marches out into the streets of Jerusalem, the same area where Abram was asked to give away and sacrifice his only son Isaac. He walks up the hill. He's caught in a thicket of crowns around his forehead, and he dies for the sins of the world. On the third day, he's risen. And so from 2,000 years before, what God shows us all throughout history is that you can trust him, that he is faithful even when we are not. And when the generations that will come will say, well, how do we know that we can trust God and how do we know that God is good? We will say, that's how. Right there. How do you trust God? You point to who? He is our great reward. Not the stuff of this life, the things that we inherit, or the experiences that work out to our favor, but we trust God because God has proven time and again, no matter your circumstances, no matter the blood and guts of life that you're in right now, you can trust him. You can bet your life on it because he's given his life for you. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are so good. We wonder, I wonder how, so many times. How are we going to do what's next? How's this going to work out? How can I see you more clearly? And yet what you show us from beginning to end, God, is how trustworthy and faithful you are. so God today whatever all my brothers and sisters are dealing with whether it's a mountaintop high or a struggle down in the valley low I pray that just as you 
revealed yourself to Abram, you will do the same to them and remind them that you are faithful, you are trustworthy, you are good, and your love and your mercy endures forever. Forgive us, Lord, that we seek the rewards of this world and be our very great reward. We thank you that you died on a cross and you rose again on the third day as the culmination of your faithfulness. Be Lord, be Savior of our lives today and of your church. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.